there, and welcome to Coming Back, a podcast about coming back to life after loss. On today's show, we'll talk to holistic psychiatrist Maureen McGoran about the unexpected death of her sister and how her longtime meditation practice brought her joy and peace in her coming back. Also on the show today, I'm answering a personal question about decompressing after doing grief work, and I'll talk about the social media movement highlighting the voices of survivors of rape, sexual assault, and sexual harassment, hashtag MeToo. I'm Shelby Forsythia, an intuitive grief guide who speaks, writes, and teaches the transformational power of grief and loss. My mom's death in 2013 set me on the path to becoming a lifelong student of grief, and I use what I learned to equip others with the knowledge to heal and remind them that they are not alone. Because even through grief, we are growing. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of Coming Back. I am honored to share this space with you today. Thank you for having me. Just as a heads up, the first part of the show, I'm going to be talking about the hashtag MeToo movement, so I will be mentioning instances of sexual assault and harassment. If this is triggering for you, or if you have kids in the car, or if you're just feeling inundated with survivor stories lately, please skip ahead to about the 11 or 12 minute mark when you hear the transition music to the listener question portion. All right, grief growers. So... For those of you who are not on social media, I will give you a quick overview of this hashtag and how everything kind of got started. On Sunday, October 15th, actress Alyssa Milano tweeted a photo of the following is a screenshot of a note. It said, suggested by a friend, if all of the women who have been sexually harassed or assaulted wrote, quote, me too, as a status, we might give people a sense of the magnitude of the problem. And she said, if you've been sexually harassed or assaulted, write, quote, me too, as a reply to this tweet. Within 24 hours, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram were flooded, absolutely flooded with the hashtag me too. Uh, some people just used the hashtag. Some people started delving deep into stories of rape, sexual assault, and sexual harassment. A lot of people are connecting Alyssa Milano's tweet with the ongoing Harvey Weinstein allegations. But regardless of her original intentions in sending out the tweet, the hashtag took hold and gained a life of its own and has literally become an open mic for everyone who has ever experienced sexual assault. So I protect my peace of mind by staying off of social media one day a week, usually on Sundays, and I make myself read or clean or go outside or do other things that need doing. So when I logged in on Monday, I was absolutely struck and literally gasped out loud at what I saw. My entire Facebook feed was me too, me too, me too. Mostly women, but but people I'm close to, people I'm not close to, relatives and friends and old roommates and major public figures were all posting me too, me too, me too. And just like Alyssa Milano's original tweet suggested, the magnitude of the problem just really hit me. And my friends who posted inspired me to post as well. I didn't know if I was going to, but I did uh, anyway. And I made my own status that said me too. And I'm still fucking pissed about it. Because I am. And that's the truth of what's happening inside of me emotionally right now. 
The stories of others, the me too's of others make me feel less alone. They help me know I'm less alone. And I feel sympathy and compassion and sisterhood and brotherhood with everyone who was posting this week. But simultaneously, I feel an exhaustion and a fire and a rage that this has happened for a long time and is continuing to happen and is still so riddled and fraught with shame and victim blaming and hatred. Social media movements like this give me power, but they also, they also just break my heart completely in two. And this is grief. This is grief made public. These are stories that have been running underground for days and months and decades and generations that are just now being brought to the surface to see the light of day. This is a massive grief recovery process happening worldwide through social media, and all of us right now are here to witness it. This is what some people would call the ugly part. This is the part of grief that nobody really wants to look at because nobody likes the feeling of having their heart broken or being surprised by the horrible things that have happened to their friends. These are the truths, though, in our hearts that we have been scared and ashamed and afraid to tell. This is grief made public. And sexual assault includes so much loss. Loss of trust, loss of autonomy, loss of consciousness, loss of power, loss of virginity or innocence, loss of identity, loss of health or well-being, loss of reputation, loss of joy, loss of control, loss of self. We grieve because sexual assault is not supposed to be our reality. I was not supposed to be groped by my engaged-to-be-married boss when I was 16 at my very first job. I was not supposed to be assaulted on the dance floor of a gay club by a drunk woman when I was 22. And I was not supposed to be told to lighten up or just go with it when I didn't want to have full-blown sex on the first date, just this past July. Hashtag MeToo has exploded because sexual assault literally shatters our hopes, dreams, and expectations for our lives. To, to put it lightly, we expect safety. We dream of men and women we can trust. We hope that we can be strong enough to propel our bodies out of danger. And rape and sexual assault and sexual harassment just blow all those expectations right out of the water. These losses say we are not safe in our bodies. They say we are not safe in our workplaces. They say we are not safe in our beds. And this is worth grieving. This is grief made public. I want to talk about hashtag me too this week, not only to share with you some of my stories and experiences, but to point out that stories need to be told in order to heal. Whatever your story is, we need to write out what has happened to us. We need these words to come out of our mouths. We need to open our eyes and see and feel that there are others around us also writing this story. And we need to fight to hold others accountable for their actions, to make change in our communities, and to trust ourselves with our physical bodies again. If you're feeling uncomfortable while all of this is happening, just take a deep breath and tell yourself, this is pain coming to the surface. This is the ugly part. This is grief made public. Public grief is a huge deal, you guys, and hashtag MeToo is not the only public grief that's circling on social media. Right off the top of my head, I can tell you Black Lives Matter is a hashtag that's a public grief, and so is It Gets Better. Those are just off the top of my head, and there are so 
many others. There's new ones surfacing every single day. So I've got some tips for you this week. If you're hanging out on social media and see a Me Too post, here's some things you can comment or message to the people that are posting. I love you. I didn't know. I'm so sorry that that happened to you. I believe you. I'm here for you. I see you. Do not share the posts of others unless they explicitly ask for them to be shared. Our stories are ours to tell. Do not ask for details. If somebody just posts me too with no details or stories involved, survivors do not owe you details of their experiences. Do not assume that you know anyone's level of well-being or quote-unquote need for therapy just by their post, aka do not try to fix them. And lastly, don't ignore them, especially if you're a regular follower of their feed. Do something. Say something, comment something, anything. If you're feeling overwhelmed this week by hashtag MeToo, take a break. It is okay to take a break, especially if you're someone who has a Me Too story but isn't ready to tell it yet. It's okay. It's okay. It is. Please take care of yourself and catch the next wave when it comes, when you're ready, because we are not done talking about this. This public grief is going to keep coming to the surface. If you are a survivor of sexual assault or violence, I'm here for you and I see you. You are not alone through this. If you're seeking someone to talk to about what happened, I highly recommend Rain with two N's. They have a 24-7 hotline and a chat room that you can go to for help. If you are not a survivor of sexual assault, but have experienced something that physically or emotionally hinders your daily well-being and functioning, please text the word HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741741. This is the crisis text line. I have used both of these resources in my own coming back and absolutely love them because they are fast, they are helpful, and they are free. You can use these yourself. You can recommend these to anybody else. And you can find websites for RAIN and the crisis text line in this week's show notes. My grief growers, I see you. I love you. I am here for you, no matter what your grief story includes. I'll be on Facebook Live on a new day of the week, starting Monday, so please find me live this coming Monday, October 23rd, where we'll talk more about hashtag MeToo and the phenomenon of public grief. You can find my Facebook page at Shelby Forsythia Intuitive Grief Guide to be notified when the broadcast begins. Next up, I'll answer a personal question about decompressing from my grief. So this week, Samantha asks, how do you recharge after dealing with others' grief and hardships all day? And I think that's a really good question. I actually get this question a lot. I tell people I work with grief and they automatically assume that that my work is heavy or that I'm drained. Uh, I'm not sure how else to phrase this, but that's actually not really, that's not true for me. Uh, The first thing I'll point you to is episode 13 of Coming Back, where at the top of the show, I talk about the joy I feel holding space for and listening to others. This is based off of a practice I learned while being trained as a grief recovery specialist and as a Reiki practitioner, actually, where I'm not taking on the pain and the hurt and the weight of other people's stories, but just putting a small space 
between us. And that's where the pain goes. The story comes to me, but the pain goes in between us. And, and that mentality and that mindset for me really helps carry me through these moments where it does feel like it can get hard. And just like I said in episode 13, it really is an honor for me to be a recipient of other stories of heartbreak and loss. And I really do love the work that I do for that reason. I encourage you to listen to that episode, episode 13, because even if you're not interested in my personal techniques, it has some tips in there. If you're somebody who's listening to somebody else's grief story or supporting someone else through grief, it can just make things a little bit easier, a little bit lighter. With that being said, there are activities that recharge me more than other activities, so I'll list a couple of them out for you here. And I'll tell you, it it took me experiencing a loss to really hone back into the things that brought me joy. What brings you joy and peace before your loss is not always the same thing that brings you joy and peace after your loss. So this is definitely an after 2013 list for me. Um, so the first one is walking or biking. Uh, I enjoy being outside. So if I'm feeling stressed or pent up, I'll walk or I'll go for a run. Um, it, both of these things help me get emotionally back on track and kind of help me remember that I always have space to breathe. If I'm feeling really luxurious or really fancy, uh, I won't walk with a time constraint. A lot of times I'll walk out my door and say I need to be back in an hour, but especially on Sundays, on these days when I'm I'm doing what I need to do for myself, I will walk without a time constraint. So I'll just wander around my neighborhood and look at the flowers and the trees. And as a matter of fact, that's actually where I get a lot of the photos for my Instagram feed. And that's from taking walks around my neighborhood. The last thing I'll tell you I like to do to decompress is to make time for myself just about every morning whenever I possibly can to journal, draw cards and runes for myself and to meditate. This trio of a wake up routine really gives me space to dump my thoughts, to put my thoughts for the day. It gives me some spiritual guidance and just enough breathing room. Here I am mentioning breathing room again to remind myself that I can stop and take a breath at any point during the day if I want to. I don't always get to do this morning routine, but when I do, I always feel a little bit more focused and driven down a set path for the day, which I really enjoy and appreciate, especially as I've gotten older and more busy. And it took a little bit. I think it's taken about a, a year or so of tweaking to get the timing and the feel of it and the flow of it down pat for me. But it is literally one of the best things I have done for myself post-loss is to develop this routine. So thank you so much for your question, Samantha. I hope this helps anybody out there this week looking to decompress either from their own grief story or from exposure to slash absorption of the grief stories of others. If you're feeling heavy, I hope this helps. I would love to know how you decompress. Please call in by leaving a voicemail or texting 312-725-3043 or emailing shelby at shelbyforsythia.com. You can find both of these contacts in the show notes. Next up, we'll talk to Maureen McGoran about her sister's recent death and how she was surprised to find joy in her grief. Maureen McGoran, MD, is highly sought after for her unique holistic approach to treating anxiety and depression. She's a board-certified physician specializing in holistic psychiatry and meditation. Maureen is certified as an IST or inner space techniques of meditation practitioner using meditation to get to the root cause of stress and overwhelm. 
With formal training in both psychoanalysis and integrative nutrition, she also has over 20 years of professional and personal experience in the fields of meditation, body and sexuality process, intuitive eating, improvisational comedy, and voice lessons. Her work has been featured in Merrimack Valley Magazine, Andover TV, Medium, Spirit of Change, and Thrive Global, where her latest article had tens of thousands of views and shares. Her talks have been sponsored by the American Holistic Nurses Association, the Holistic Moms Network, the Mother Connection, and the Natural Living Expo. Through her one-on-one work, she helps moms of young children overcome stress and anxiety to feel more joy. So Maureen, start us off with your lost story, if you could. Yeah, well, I... um. Just after Christmas this year, my youngest sister, Marty, or Martha, she passed away unexpectedly. It was pretty much a shock. Um, We'd all been together, have a big family, 11 brothers and sisters, and she's the baby. She's the youngest. So um, just was not something we were expecting at all. She wasn't feeling well and turns out had a ruptured brain aneurysm and passed away pretty quickly. And so um, there was a sense of shock and disbelief and even though it's been you know almost nine months now on some level there's a kind of like it's hard to believe it's still sinking in sure I totally hear that and I'm I'm so sorry for that because in the grand in the grand order of things or in nature when people look at siblings and families there's a quote-unquote order of how people are quote-unquote supposed to die or supposed to leave us and especially when it comes to the youngest of us they're not supposed to go first you know what i mean it's kind of like the children before parents kind of Mm, rule yeah um, that exists in our culture so how did that affect your family it sounds like one of the first losses that you ever experienced altogether yeah yeah it was interesting because i you know some friends of mine had posted this thing about like blue christmas being sad when someone passed away and i remember thinking oh i can't really relate to that because i haven't had any and then you know not knowing that i would know quickly what that was like but essentially waves of shock disbelief um i think it was it's hard for all of us we miss her tremendously she has so much life and um an amazing person, love her so much. And I think it was really hardest for my mother, like you're saying, the expectation is that you're gonna, she would go first. And uh, so there's a definite sense of, um, of loss. And, you know, I think the thing about it that's been interesting is that it didn't, it didn't actually go the way for me that I thought it would in terms of grieving, it was a very different experience um, than I thought it would be. Mm, What do you mean by that? Well, essentially, you know, I'd always had a fear of death or of someone dying. I'd I'd actually had some dreams before I would wake up in a panic that one of my sisters had died. And it was always the same kind of black loss, emptiness, you know, it's gone. And the thing with her was like, pretty quickly after she died, it was like I could really feel her. I could really feel her presence. And um, I've done a lot of meditating. I've meditated for the last 10 years. And so after I heard she died, I sat down with a friend of mine and I really could feel her, but I felt this joy. Like I felt the sense of joy in her. And it was kind of confusing because I thought here, this is terrible. I'm grieving, but I'm feeling this joy in her. And so I was like, wow, you know, and just going with that, of course, you know, there were tears and there's sadness, but there was also this sense, which I still feel of 
her being okay and of feeling her kind of being able to kind of access a sense of her and if in it it's almost like a sense of she's in another place and she's okay and like she sort of sent that that message back so that was like a really a profound thing for me and in part of my meditation training um I had there's a book that's called Death the Great Journey and so I started reading to that and listening to the audio portions of it again and there's one segment um, that you can actually read aloud to the person who's passed who's died the deceased and it's a sense of sort of helping them ease the transition into the next phase whatever that is and um, as I read that to her it was it was more of that sense of really feeling her and feeling this sense of it wasn't always joy there was sometimes there was chaos but there was an overall sense of something positive and that she was moving to another place and I really got the sense that there's more to life that there's another stage after life and that's where she is and that she had just simply gone first and so it really took away that fear of blackness and gone and I can't connect to like oh she's there and I will be there I will die at some point and so it sort of took away a lot of the fear of death and it really brought forward, well, then what am I doing in my life? And what do I want to do? And what's important? And how can I honor her and the love that I felt in her in my life? And so part of that's been speaking about her and what I received and learned in this experience. That book, I just wrote it down, Death, the Great Journey, sounds really powerful for you. And I kind of got a humorous visualization of like story time for the dead. But how did your relationship with her in life shift or change or inform the relationship you had with her when she died? Because it sounds like your connection with her was almost instantaneous. Yeah. Well, in terms of the book, the the part that you read aloud, it's it's based on the Tibetan book of the dead. So it's actually, you know, centuries old thing where they actually kind of, you know, have studied it. And, you know, it's a different... Um, you know, it's an Eastern tradition, but it's really beautiful. It's definitely something I recommend to people to take a look at, and it really helps you question things. But I was always really close to her. We were three years apart. She's three years younger, and we uh, played ice hockey together. So a lot of our childhood we spent together, we were very close. And um, as we got older, she lived on an island called Block Island, which is off of Rhode Island. And she was actually captain of the rescue squad. She was an EMT. And she's, it was something she was very proud of and she took very seriously. So unfortunately, it meant I didn't get to see her as often because she was often on call, like she couldn't leave the island. And she was actually on call the night that she passed away. When I was able to connect with her, yeah, I felt her spirit spirit almost instantly. I felt this sense of her. And I also felt this sense of her almost more so even than... Then I felt her at times a lot, you know, I feel like sometimes in life we get bogged down with being busy and obligations and things, but this way that I felt her and her spirit it was very free and it was very joyful and it was like, this is her essence, like this is her beauty, this is who she is. You know, it was really, really clear to me. You know, I felt this sense almost that she was holding something for me, you know, as I was, you know, wanting to do something for her after she died. You know, when someone dies, you always wish that you would have said something or done something differently or, you know, averted the whole experience. But um, obviously that didn't happen and doesn't happen. 
Was there anything that was left uncommunicated between you two before she died? Well, I mean, I think it's, I mean, mostly what I often feel is that I just want to say I love you. I mean, we did say it to each other, but it's like, I just want to say it again, you know, and I want to hug her. And I want to hold her. It's like, because I do love her. And it's just that thing when you're with someone and you tell them that you love them and they, you know, you make eye contact and you feel it, you know, it's like sort of wanting more of that. Although, I, you know, at some level, I do feel like I say that to her all the time, you know, and I, f- and I feel it reciprocated as well. After her death, kind of that period of, of readjusting without her, what has that been like for you? And what has it been like for your family? Are you out to your family as someone who still keeps in touch with your sister through these means? Or is that relationship with her kind of under wraps? No, I think, I think a lot of us feel her all the time. You know, I think it's, um, I mean, I think obviously there's a hole, you know, there's a, there's a wound, there's a sadness, there's a, there's a missing her that's very intense, especially at certain times. Um, I went out to the island um, this summer and it was incredibly difficult because every time that I went out there, she was always at the ferry. She was always smiling. She couldn't wait. She was just so excited just to have us come visit. And so there was this massive emptiness. It was like, oh, there's nobody here to greet me. And and it was like, you know, so, so obvious. And, you know, she's going to the graveyard to see her is not where I want to go, but that's, you know, where this symbol, you know, it's where she's buried. Um, so there's definitely like a big emptiness and missing and I feel like that is you know it's those I think that's the thing about grief at least my experience it's like it's not like it's linear and so it sort of comes up sometime really strong it's like oh you know really missing her really want to be with her really want to share something with her or tell her something or you know that kind of thing and um it's it's difficult because I think a lot of it's uncomfortable for people to talk about death or to feel that pain of missing someone. And so, you know, we talk about her and we miss her and, you know, I feel so much for her kids. Just want to do whatever I can for them to kind of, you know, keep her spirit alive and to them to know how much, you know, we love her and we love them. So there's a definite sense of missing her here, her, her, physical self in terms of get togethers and, uh, you know, jokes. And it feels like it's getting, you know, as time goes on, it gets a little bit lighter and it gets a little bit more real. It's amazing. I find how your mind can play tricks on you where it's like, no, she's not, she didn't die. Even though you went through the whole funeral and experience, it's like, no, she's just, she's on the Island, you know, and kind of like wanting to believe that. I want to ask, um, with your work in psychiatry and meditation, what do you do with the void? I know you said this this life without her here that seems like a, a void. There's definitely a, a black hole that's kind of missing for all of you. So what do you, maybe mentally or emotionally or energetically, do you move the void? Do you look at it? Do you not look at it? Do you put it somewhere? How do you interact with it? That's a great question. I mean, for me and my experience and the meditation and uh, you know, emotional work, energetic work. It's like the void is something that's always there. It's, it's. I feel it's something as part of being human. It's something that we all have. You know, in a sense, it's a separation from from the divine, from where we came from, and so it gets triggered all the time in life. You know, breakups, loss, death. 
um, smaller levels as well. And so I've actually been working for years on ways to deal with that and to sort of stay with it and to open to it. And there's a sense of like healing that comes in. Like for me, I, I, I strongly believe, I have a strong spiritual belief that there's, there's more than us here and that there's a lot of healing that we can receive by opening to that, to the divine God, whatever words you use. And so I feel like when I feel the pain of Martha, I, mo- I actually mostly feel my love and I feel how intense the love is for her. And, and then there's a sense of staying with that. And if it's crying, if it's whatever it is that comes with it, and then I, I start to feel, I feel a sense of her presence and I feel a sense of the divine. So for me, it's a sense of healing through that way, sort of, it's not actually doing anything. It's definitely not running from it. It's, it's um, being with it because it, sh- it shifts, it changes, it opens into something else. And then I feel like that takes me more forward into the world. And then I want to say to people, I love you. And I want to be really present. And I want to really, you know, make the most of life. And I, f- and I feel like the biggest gift I can do for Marty is to, to do that, to, to, to bring that to life. I, I feel like that was the essence of her anyway. She was so giving and caring and loving um, that it's an opportunity to really be present Grief is a practice to be present. I absolutely love that. And it's one of the hardest things that we train or can train ourselves to do as humans because it's hard. It feels like crap. It doesn't, it doesn't initially feel like love when you're leaning into it. It feels like pain, 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 and it sucks. You know, I'm wondering, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of people who sit in the camp of you grieve for as much as you love the person, like your love and your grief are in perfect ratio, which is why you grieve so hard when you have loved so hard. And there are some people who say that grief is totally separate from love, which is why they feel so different. What are your thoughts on the relationship between grief and love and how they interact with each other in our lives? I guess I've never really thought about it in that framework because in some level, like uh, the comparison feels maybe arbitrary to me, but I mean, I guess I would say in when I was grieving, when she died, I was struck with the amount of love uh, that I felt for her. I mean, I feel like ultimately grief is like a loss or a disconnection from love at some level. And there's that wanting for it. In the meditation school, we often, you know, think of it as a wound, like it's a really deep wound that's Nate, that's like a natural part of being human. And people f- have m- many different ways of trying to fill it, whether they're eating or drinking or drugs or, you know, exercising. They're different ways, but it's like fundamentally there's something deep inside us that's that's like wanting something. And from a spiritual perspective, it's sort of reconnecting with the divine with God with something bigger than us. So I've often on the um, the option B, the Facebook group page, and I do see sometimes that it seems like people may compare grief or how much do you love, and it just seems to me kind of all irrelevant in a way. Like it's so individual, and and it's really just finding your pathway, like finding your way to to healing. I mean, it's, and it is actually a lot of what I do with my clients as well. And it's, 
whether it's around death or not, I, I just think that it's a fundamental human thing. It's part of our vulnerability. It's part of our our being. And so it's something that I work with in them in terms of as they connect with something bigger than themselves and they can trust and they can let go and they can feel supported and feel loved, it changes things. And so for me, like when my sister died and I really felt her presence, it, it wasn't actually the f- first time it happened. The meditation teacher in the school that I study at had passed away in the fall. And he had such an open attitude, just like in the Tibetan book of living and dying, the, there was this sense of they're going to meet something, that there is another stage, there's a strong belief. And, and after he passed, I could feel his presence as well. And I had um, my brother-in-law passed away shortly after my sister, and he'd had cancer for some time, and he'd had a near-death experience when he was 13. He'd fallen into a frozen lake, and he'd said it was, you know, it really changed his life, that in that experience, he felt this bright light, this warmth, he felt really welcomed, and then he was he was pulled out. And so as he was facing death with cancer, he said, I've seen the face of God, I'm not afraid, not in a hurry, but I'm not afraid. And, you know, within six months, these three deaths, like, it just felt like it sort of really solidified something for me about my belief in the afterlife and something next. So it helps with the grieving in terms of that sense of, you know, everybody dies. We're all going to die. We kind of deny that fact, but so that it is part of life. And so when it's looked at in terms of that continuum, it has a very different feel to it. It doesn't mean we don't miss the person. Of course we do, but it just feels a little bit different. It's not as, there isn't such a, like the fear that I had of the blackness and the ending and the, you know, nothing. I'm curious with all of this, because this sounds like it has influenced your life in absolutely incredible ways, how you got to spiritually where you are today. Because I feel like we don't all grow up learning these stories or having these feelings. And I know you've trained in meditation as well, but how... How did you grow up? How did you progress to believing all of these things about death and about our lives and about what is waiting for us beyond death and having faith in that? Well, I grew up Catholic and it was very kind of strict Catholic. And that was what I knew of religion and the world and God. And as I got older, I felt like I wanted to find something different. That felt a bit punitive to me and it didn't quite totally resonate with me. So I was looking, I always felt like I was looking for something. I had no idea what, but I used to sort of say, oh, I'm on a mission. I didn't know what it was, but there was something I wanted to find. And I tried a lot of different things. I've done a lot of different personal development work and each thing, you know, opens something else. And when I found meditation, it really landed something for me in terms of a a real grounding and a centeredness in myself, as well as opening to that sense of, I don't have to control everything. I don't have to figure everything out that I, I can, I I have access to this, you know, the divine, something bigger that's actually loves me and is looking out for me. And it's funny because when I was grew up Catholic and I was in the Catholic world, I had almost a 
revulsion to it because it felt so straight. Like I felt in a kind of a box with it. I felt like I, I felt like I was guilty all the time. Like I'd done something wrong and I didn't know what it was. Whereas this felt more like there was this sense of something bigger. And a big part of it for me is is what I use in my work, which is a technique called IST. Those three letters. It stands for the Inner Space Techniques of Meditation, and it it and it's a type of meditative therapy. But it brings this whole metaphysical aspect of um, healing beyond yourself as you as you look at the different issues in your life. But there's something bigger that's really supporting and guiding, and um, you know, and it just became more and more substantial in my life. It's just something that brings ease, it brings joy, it brings pleasure, and it's something that I'm really passionate about sharing for others, kind of holding, like, yeah, this is here for you too, this is here for all of us. It's, it's amazing. So I want to know now how your perspective on death, or maybe even you as a person, have shifted since these three deaths occurred in a row, not just the death of your sister, but um, your meditation instructor and and your brother-in-law from cancer as well, because it sounds like this has been transformative for you in a way, and even is propelling you forward with a mission to help others with it. Yeah, that is very much how I feel with it. And I feel that it's given me a certain strength and initiative to carry the message, to show it. You know, I'd always been kind of maybe more shy, maybe holding myself back more. And I just really have felt particularly from my sister. And I laugh as I say it, because when I feel her, I feel this lightness. I feel her laugh and I feel this sense of go do it, do it, you know, (laughs) talk about this, share this, you know. And so it's like I have a playmate. I have someone here who's with me, who's encouraging me. And it's, it is really important to me because this sense of meaning in life is something that, you know, I know myself, I was always curious about, like, you know, what are we doing? Why are we here? What's happening? And it's so, but it's meaning, but with presence. So I feel like, I feel so much closer to people. I feel like I, the love that I feel for them is, is really, it's obvious. And I, and I, it's like physical almost, you know, it's like I say it, I'm there. It just, it, it, it makes my life so much more enjoyable, so much more, there's more depth, there's more feeling kind of awake and, you know, and, and feeling like serving a bigger purpose as well. Like that's actually what motivates me a lot is this sense like it's actually not hard to access a lot of these things. It starts with just knowing that there's something else there and feeling the part of you that wants that and, you know, connecting with that. And so it's just a joy for me when I work with people to really see them light up, to see their lives change, to see them engage in this way, to to have these deeper relationships, to connect with meaning and you know, being more themselves in the world. It's really beautiful. It is. And I'm curious to know from you, because I have my own thoughts on this as well, is what do you think your clients or even just everyday people that have never worked with you, what do you think they need to believe about death or about the things that totally transform our lives in order to become those more open, those more present, those more physically there people? When, when you ask that question, the biggest thing that I feel is this sense of you, you're not alone. 
You know, that's something that I hear and I see a lot from people, even if they don't actually say it, it's like this fear of I'm alone, you know, and and when people die, it's especially people that you're very close to or they were the caretaker or you were, there's that sense of they're so alone with that, you know, and so when I'm working with people, it starts with me being there for them. So I am not, they're not alone. Like I'm 100% on board. I'm with them. I'm supporting them between sessions like the whole time like it's it's this real sense of my presence my being present and that ca- can translate and that can happen in any relationship you know, that can happen with people who really want to be there for you and there's that sense of moving into starting to feel something bigger like starting to allow that you know i think we all have different conditioning or beliefs or experiences maybe being hurt different traumas different things that kind of made us feel really isolated and really unprotected and really alone. And so there's a sense of um, maybe seeing that from a different angle or or just even just starting with feeling, letting yourself feel supported, letting yourself receive that support and love. I love that visualization. And I close my eyes sitting here listening to that because that was really just a gorgeous depiction of what I want for so many people that listen to this show. Um, I want to ask, what are the top three, maybe truths or resources that helped you come back? I mean, connection to others was huge. So there was a sense of um, being able to be with people, to cry, to hug, to talk about her, to kind of, you know, really express the, the pain of the loss. You know, I think that was really important. Um it was really hard to go out to the island for the funeral because it was like, God, not only is she not going to be there, and I just saw her a couple of days ago, but, you know, the whole funeral thing the, with the wake and all that, like, that's so full on. It's so intense. Um, so definitely that connection. And I was blown away by the community support, like the people in the funeral. There were The place was packed. There was standing room only. There was like, it was raining and there was still like, you know, 50 to 100 people standing outside. And I just felt how loved she was, like how many people she touched. So there was that real sense of the the community. And for me, the meditation practices and the meditation routine that I had was huge because it always brings me back to this grounding, to this sense of balance, to this sense of receiving from God. And it helped me feel her a lot. So those, and those that practice that I did in the book that was based on the um, Tibetan Book of the Dead was massive. Like it, it's hard to put into words how powerful it was for me. And I think because I've done a lot of meditation, it was even more powerful. But there was this sense of feeling like there's so much more than just this world that we live in, this kind of concrete material world. Like that there's this another world that's it maybe non-physical, but that's where her spirit was. And it was this sense of an invitation to kind of be with her in this way. And it was really, it just filled my heart. It was very light. And it was like she was laughing. And I felt like she was really giving me so much love. You know, it was like an honor. It was an honor to be be there on her journey. And and even now to to feel her. I don't feel her as intensely as I did then, but it's like this echoes of her spirit, like the sense of her, her laughter. I often hear that. So I feel like those were the, the major things for me. Thank you. And this question just came to me while you were speaking, but 
Is there anything you haven't let go of or haven't released about her death or that you're still working on? I think there will always be sadness and missing her in some level. You know, I'm actually looking at a picture of her right now and she's so beautiful and I just want to hug her and I want, you know, it's like there's something about the physical, you know, when you have people in the physical and you can hug them or touch them or feel them or they, you know, they're touching you. That's like, uh, priceless. So it's like, I, I certainly haven't let go of that wanting to kind of, you know, to be with her and even just see her respond to me in the way that she would have normally, you know, I fortunately have pictures where she's like making some of her characteristic expressions and see her like sitting on the beach. It's like, so her that, um, it's like, and then when I look at them, I'm like, ah, oh, there she is, there she is. Like, so it feels like a part of her is still, is, is there, or is that. But there'll always be the missing of her and the physical missing of her and the wanting her to be there and the wanting to share and tell her things. I mean, I can, I do that, but, you know, th- there's a difference. I do want to ask you if there's one phrase or if there's one message she has sent to you that has given you the most comfort that maybe we can share with our listeners today? Yeah, and I think I alluded to it earlier, but I mean, the sense that I got, you know, after she passed and I still feel it is, you know, as I was grieving and it was very heavy at first, there was a sense of she, she says, I'm okay. And this is amazing. And that was the sense I got that she was in a you know, it sounds kind of cliche when people say, oh, she's in a good place or a better place, but it doesn't, it's not like that at all. It's like, it felt like this sense of like, there's more and it, and you know, it's here for you. And, and I really have the sense of like, oh, she, she went first. She took the next journey, the next train, the next step. And I'm going to take that step at some point as well. And so is everyone and everyone I know. And so there's a, a willingness to feel that and to to have that awareness because it it actually just helps me appreciate life so much more and as i said be more present i'm okay and this is amazing mm. that's such a cool gift i love how i love how that feels for you that's amazing well maureen where can our listeners find you work with you read things you've written or been in yeah, so I have um, a website. My website is my name. It's maureenmagoran.com. And I have um, a free guided meditation that people can download from that website in terms of just a way to kind of get back in your body, get grounded, bring more ease. And I do also offer a complimentary clarity call for people who are interested in working with me. It's a free 30-minute telephone session to kind of look at what they want what might be getting in the way, and if we'd be a good fit to work together. I've got a siren on my end as well. I'm so sorry. I live in a firehouse. <laughs> no worries. She, she, she worked at a yes, firehouse. So. Oh, so that's her, so way, her way of signing off. That. Oh, I get chills. I'm getting chills right now. This Marty. is so cool. Love you. Yeah. Hi, Marty. <laughs> She's smiling. Yes. Oh, my goodness. That makes me so happy. Somebody told me once that sirens are a sign of uh, a leveling up or an epiphany happening, some connection with the other side. And that always has made me feel a little bit better because sirens can be a negative Mm. sound for so many things. So, oh, my goodness. Hi, Marty. (laughs) (laughs) What a great way to close out our show today. Yes, I can absolutely put that link into the show notes for you. Excellent. um, And where everybody can find that link on your website as well. 
Thank you, Maureen, for sharing your story with us today. Thank you for having me, and thanks for the work you do. It's really important. So that's all for this episode of Coming Back. A huge thank you to Dr. Maureen McGoran for telling us about finding joy in the void of grief and loss. Maureen came back in her own life by meditating, sharing her story and connecting with others, and reading Death, The Great Journey. You can find links to Death, The Great Journey, as well as a link to Maureen's website and free meditation in the show notes. She is also speaking at the Natural Living Expo in Massachusetts in November if you're up that way. Join me for Facebook Live on a new day of the week on Monday, October 23rd at 1 o'clock Chicago time. We'll be talking about the shared public grief in the hashtag MeToo movement. Please subscribe and tell a friend about coming back because you never know. You never know, grief growers, what someone you love is going through. Thank you always and forever to Mr. Addie Goldstein, who composed our theme music. You can find me on Facebook at Shelby Forsythia Intuitive Grief Guide, Instagram at Grief Guide Shelby Forsythia, or simply shelbyforsythia.com. If you'd like to leave a question or a comment for a future show, leave a voicemail or text 312-725-3043 or email me at shelby at shelbyforsythia.com, subject line, podcast. As always, my dear grief growers, it was beautiful sharing this space and time with you today. I see you. I am proud of you and the work that you're doing in the world. And I love you. Because even through grief, we are growing. Thank you.